Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy Dylan Shore, and we are going to talk about a Steve Martin double feature, L.A. Story and Mixed Nuts, which is another L.A. Story. So, Dylan, what up with that? Yeah, you get one that's like a really good movie and you get one that's like super mediocre. That should be way better for its cast and its writer director. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I think I really I, I broadly agree with that. The more I watch LA Story, which is a movie that I love a lot, I Same. I think it's sort of earned its reputation. You know what I mean? It's definitely not a great film. No, but it has really funny moments compared to Mixed Nuts. Which also has really funny moments. A few, but it's too far in between, and it's it's not the cleverness of L.A. Story. They're definitely different things. But before we unpack that in its entirety, should we talk about some other pieces <laughs> of art? What are you watching? Yes, sir. So we were supposed to do Phantoms right. the, like, a few weeks ago but you couldn't find it. So I went ahead and still watched it. And man, oh man, that movie is hilariously bad. There is, ugh, it is not great, but has the best Ben Affleck entrance ever. <laughs> What's the entrance? It's like a close-up of him. He's the town sheriff and it's like a close-up of him and he's in a fucking cowboy hat. <laughs> Movie stars are made. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> right on. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm, bad movie. I'm looking forward to catching up with that one. I was disappointed that I didn't wasn't able to track down a copy in English on this side of the pond. So hopefully we'll circle yeah. back around to that at some point. For how much it's a creature feature, you just want more creature and less of these people. <laughs> I see. Yep. Um and then a while back, I watched the first X-Files movie, loved it. We're talking about the second one, I Want to Believe. So I watched that. And yeah, that's not good. And that's a big disappointment because I love the look and the feel of that whole movie. Mm -hmm. But it's just, again, it's like a really boring episode of X-Files. Yeah, that was my memory. And I, I sort of remember the first one being like a really good episode of the X-Files. The first movie is a legit movie too. Like it doesn't feel like it should be like, oh, that should be a 50 minute episode of the show versus like a two hour movie. It worked as a two hour movie. And this it felt like- does not. Okay. Yeah, I, I have, it's been years since I've seen either of them, but my impulse is sort of like that that, that first movie also worked as like a- not necessarily a series finale, but really understood the arc of the story that they were telling. Yeah, and engaged totally. with that. And was like the first time they showed a UFO in any of it. Like the creator was very specific. Like he's like, I don't want to show any type of alien craft until like maybe the fifth season. Mm -hmm. And so he did the fifth season and then they got to make the movie. And he was like, okay, I'm going to show it in the movie. And it's a fucking big, great moment. Right on. And there's one really dumb moment in the in the second one where they're walking through the the hallways of some random government agency. It's probably like the CIA or some shit. I can't remember. But it's showing like the the wall of presidents sure. and it gets to George uh, W. Bush, who was our president at that time. 
or like maybe had just gotten out of office maybe like 2008 ish he might might have still been in office at that yeah, time. Yeah, that would have been right at the transition. But it gets to his image, and it does like the X Files tune. Like, <laughs> is this guy an alien? What are you telling us right now? <laughs> He's uh, got some ideas about conspiracy. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that one. And then I went and saw Red Rocket. Uh, okay. Baker's new film with Simon Rex. It's definitely the weakest of Sean Baker's movies. Okay. It's like most of his movies are like true character driven things. And, you know, you just meander with them and follow them. Mm-hmm. This is that. It just didn't have that like one special hook for me. Like it just didn't quite catch me. Okay. But the mo- the reason to see it is because of Simon Rex. Like I've, I've been following him for a while. He's not that big of an actor, but he does like some comedy rap and stuff. Okay. And uh he just like really harnessed this character i just wish the movie was more fair enough yeah i'm i'm definitely looking forward to seeing it i'm a big fan of the movies that sean baker has put out uh it's so definitely far. worth watching it really is it's just coming from like his three or four other films starlet tangerine uh florida project so three yeah those those are just like exceptional films to me. Like I think each one is on their own par of being great. This one is, you know, just a little subpar. The directing is not as uh, great as I was hoping for it. Hmm. Curious. I wonder if, you know, all of his movies have had such, I don't know, boundaries that he's had to wrestle with. You know what I mean? And that forces a lot of creativity. So I I wonder if he kind of ends up in the same mold as a guy like Carpenter, you know, where- I'm sorry, go ahead. Just that when you give them the money, you know, and you can do anything, it's a little harder to, to decide what to actually do, you know, where if you have this thing that you're trying to accomplish and you can't, then you have to come up with something else, you know? Yeah, so apparently Sean Baker was supposed to make a high-budgeted movie next, but then uh, uh, the pandemic happened. And so he literally just, found a way to make the cheapest movie he could and shot a lot of Red Rocket guerrilla style. Interesting. Like the, uh, I heard Simon Rex talk about a final scene in the movie where he has to run naked through the night uh, in this sketchy part of town. And he was like, we had no permits. I just <laughs> went out there and ran naked. <laughs> God bless the movie business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I got one more. Lay it um, on me. Yes. So this was probably my favorite thing I've watched in a while. Uh, and it's the documentary on Brian Wilson called Long Promised Road. Okay. Uh, the guy of the Beach Boys. Dude, I, what a fucking genius, gentle soul that man is. Sure. Uh, he, like, the Beach Boys were like my first CD I ever bought myself. The greatest hits album had a really. Bunch of, oh, yeah. It was like a three disc one. And it had everything uh, you could imagine. And huh. I've just been obsessed with them. And seeing this documentary, who and like the guy that's interviewing Brian throughout it, they're just driving through LA, hitting up old spots of his. And this guy is a friend of Brian's. So he knows just like the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so insightful and fucking heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time just i love that man i hope he gets peace for the rest of his life 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm with you. I mean, I certainly value his uh, artistic contributions. Um, yeah. I don't want to nerd out about the Beach Boys, but I do find it a little like, I don't know why I find it surprising that that was your first CD, but I also find it just really delightful and charming. That's wonderful, man. Yeah, it was like first grade. My grandpa took me to Circuit City, went in there fucking out of like the bargain bin of like five, six dollars CDs. Yeah. And fucking there it was. It was like, hell yeah, Beach Boys. <laughs> Man, I'm looking forward to seeing that. That actually sounds pretty excellent. I, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than can't wait. Good. Yes, you should watch it. And the last one is Finch. Oh, Tom okay. Just new Apple TV movie. Yeah, how was it? Um, it's definitely an entertaining watch. It's nothing special though, but it's also kind of baffling that there's like this high budget sci-fi Tom Hanks movie that just got shitted out onto Apple TV. Well, like, that's the Greyhound also. I think that's such an interesting like artifact of the time and the media environment right now. Cuz Apple TV probably paid him a bundle of money to get him on an exclusive contract. And the thing that they're succeeding at is actually making interesting stuff because they've been pretty hands off and just letting creators create, Mm -hmm. but they have no marketing and no distribution and no way for people to see these things that are generally pretty good, even though everybody has a fucking iPhone in their pocket or, you know, we're doing this on MacBooks and. Yeah. The tragedy of Macbeth will be their first theater movie. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to theaters here on Christmas Day and then comes out on streaming like January something. They should have released Greyhound Christmas. I thought I mean, Greyhound was awesome. Greyhound yeah. was so much fun. Yeah, I like it a lot. And that movie in theaters would have been even more engaging. Absolutely. Right on. Yeah, curious times, man. I, I do like the movies that he's making, though. That's kind of. Yeah, and I'm not like trying to shit on Finch. Like, it's definitely worth a watch. It's just, you know, it's very basic fair enough yeah but the robot looks really good like i uh, there's moments where i'm like there's definitely a real robot right here and someone is fucking controlling this thing well yeah it's chappy right didn't it doesn't that movie star chappy (laughs) i did not like chappy i I actually love chappy either (laughs) turned off the screener for that did you really yeah it wasn't i was like dude neil blomkamp has really gone downhill in his movies yeah i I mean i didn't turn it off but it's certainly (laughs) maybe i should finish it but (laughs) yeah you don't have to yeah (laughs) um speaking of finishing it and turning it off i finally made it through spencer finally yeah so i turned on spencer and 20 minutes in i was like i think i'm gonna bail on this and then i fought through it and made it another 20 minutes i made it to the 40 minute mark before i was like fuck this nonsense and then was like i gotta finish it though because she's gonna win an oscar for some reason so let's at least see i don't know if she will actually i don't i hope she doesn't man i i I, it's the kind of i don't know i'm not an oscar prognosticator but like this is the kind it's like catnip for these motherfuckers it's the shit they just absolutely love absolutely absolutely and, you know, there's, she's kind of been, uh, whatever. I just, I thought the movie was not terribly inventive or creative or enjoyable. It's telling me a story that I've seen 10,000 times before and sort of not giving me any tension other than the really distracting soundtrack. Um, 
her performance is bad. I, I don't know what else to say. It is a Kristen Stewart performance. That's it what is. I try to tell everyone. But it's like, Kristen I was like Stewart. this role is tailored for that. Her anxious, fucking uncomfortable in her skin type of performance. Okay, That's what well, yeah, you're absolutely right. But fucking tone it down, lady. Or like have a director who understands how to gauge a performance because she's just like, I demurring all over the screen and she I don't know man I I was really looking forward to like this being the thing that it has reputation for I know a lot of people liked uh was it underwater um yeah 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 and you know maybe there's a stewardessance or something but I just I don't see it man so that's kind of all I I don't see it at all I am not a fan of her I think I said this earlier I think Spencer is probably her best performance because it's tailored to her acting. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And even still, it's right. I dug on the visuals, though, of that movie. I really liked the opening of it, and I really liked the last half. The middle is so-so, but I really liked the last half of it. I do like the catharsis at the end, you know? I like um, the Malachy part where, like, She's uh she sees her little self dancing. I like when uh, it gets a little malicky sometimes. All, all of the mysticism made me want to punch myself in the face for engaging with this. Like I'm a huge fan, and we'll we'll get around to why that is in a little bit here. But I think cinema needs mysticism. Um, it's the perfect <laughs> artistic medium to create uh, yeah. that. Outside of you know, I mean, novels and obviously um, short stories do a really punchy job with it as well, but you get to live in it in the cinema, right? Mm-hmm. And this is just a biopic, man. And I always- and it's felt- not even like an accurate biopic. It says in the beginning, this is a fable <laughs> based on a tragedy. And as soon as you say that, you're like, okay, so this is not real. And but then it ends up hitting the same plot points as like the crown season, whatever, which I've never, and which I've never seen. It it tells this story in a much more compelling manner. And Claire Foy is good, or sorry, um uh pardon me, I've <laughs> recovering guys, so I've the name of the woman who plays Diana on the crown is not my brain, but she's tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, I'll stop talking about it. Um how about oh i caught up with wrath of man yeah how was that have you seen it no it's good it's it's very good i think you know it similarly has a reputation as like oh, wait yes 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 guy Ritchie. that's not the one i'm thinking of yeah it's guy Ritchie's new one yes yeah solid solid fun movie not totally not richie's best movie by any means but fucking a it like brought him back to kind of like this like the gentleman was way better than Wrath uh Wrath of Man. Sorry, I keep fucking up the title for sure. I don't like that title. It's a yeah, it's not a great one. Uh um, but uh it uh it was solid. I I made me want to see it again after I watched. It. I was like, I could easily watch that again with the buds, get get some beers and watch that. Yeah, I mean I love a heist movie and I, I will generally go back to him at least one more time just because I, I like the energy of him. Um I, how did you feel about the the second act and kind of the middle of that movie? Because I was really distracted by the structure and the storytelling there. Okay, yeah, I do remember it start to jumping around and you see, like, because the kid dies in the beginning and then 
you like see the events unfold from the other way and like you keep seeing him die. I like that I actually yeah so two things are happening there at, at a certain point we kind of switch main characters and then the movie really becomes about the crew that's pulling the heist I really like yes. that that's pretty yes. pretty cool that's what and I a, really remember and that's a hard thing to pull off so maybe we have to keep going back to that center point to to land that but to your point we see the kid die and that heist in the middle part, maybe five, man. It's like, yeah, okay, bro, yeah. we fucking get it. Can we get something done? You could lift a half hour out of this movie and then it would be a 90 minute movie. Woo! <laughs> so I personally, I would have straightened it out a little bit and told that story a little more linearly. Maybe maybe just gone kind of like a uh, cold hook where we're not sure what's going on with Statham because mm-hmm. we get what's going on and then it keeps taking stuff away just to put it right back there. I, I really didn't care for that uh, methodology. I did like uh, that Josh Hartnett was in it, though. I also like that Josh Hartnett is just sort of like not even a red herring, you know? You kind of think he's a bad guy, but you know he's too shitty to be the real bad guy. And yeah, absolutely. And you're just sort of like, yeah, what are you doing here? He's a great performance. Absolutely. And it's like, because you haven't seen him in a long time. So when he pops on screen, you're just like, this guy used to be a fucking movie star. Yeah. This and guy he used still to be in shit, yeah. Look at him. He commands the screen. You're just like... I agree. I want to see more fucking Josh Hartnett. Definitely. Um, the very first, <laughs> like, Hollywood party that I ever went to was not in Hollywood. It was in Minneapolis. I don't know if I've told you this story. No, I don't <laughs> it's, think so. It's uh, podcast appropriate, but I was... Uh, this woman that I knew in Minneapolis called me up and was like, hey, you got to come to a par- party at Famous Dave's, which is a chain of barbecue restaurants. And okay. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of busy. I don't know. And the, whatever. And she's like, no, 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 no. You have to be here. And I'm like, all right, which one is it? And she goes, no, no, no. It's at Famous Dave's house. We're not at a restaurant. I'm hanging out with Famous Dave. Get your ass over here. And so I'm Hell like, yeah. Okay, yeah, let's go hang out with Famous Dave. And I ended up sitting around uh, a dock with Josh Hartnett and Rachel Lee Cook. So that's, that's the uh, story of how what I year met was this? Oh, it was early 2000. This would have been around like she's all that time. Like that's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, because so Josh Hartnett is from Minneapolis. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, as am I for anybody who is not sick of me talking about it. Um, <laughs> but so he, I saw him do a, a one act, like an, a series of one act plays at South High School, which was not the school I went to, but a bunch of my friends did. So I had seen him like as just a pipsqueak in the theater program. And that's what I talked to him about. That was my entry. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him something that nobody's talking to him about. He's like, yo, I saw your one act. So that was, that's the story of how I met Rachel Lee Cook and Josh Hartnett at Famous Dave's house. That is incredible. Good day. Um, how do you feel about Love the Coopers? Love the Troops? <laughs> Love the Coopers. <laughs> Uh, I <laughs> meet love the troops. I have not seen love the Coopers. Dylan, we all love the troops. We are um, patriotically bound to support their service and um, never yeah. question anything about how that service relates to our political environment. Yes. So no, love the Coopers. Never seen it, but it's got a big cast. 
it's got a pretty what's happening here 2015 timothy chalamet john goodman is in there diane keaton shows up i mean she kind of carries the movie steve martin's a voice steve martin is the voice of the dog that's the reveal at the end of the movie that kind of is what is happening right now what movie is this it's sort of like i think it's the uh from the creator of the family stone so it's got that kind of energy okay i love family stone you might like this it's dark it's like it's a little sad like marissa tomei is uh gets arrested by anthony mackie for shoplifting Okay. And they have this whole sort of relationship, not a relationship, but a, you know, kind of an experience while she's in the back of the cop car. And then, so it's really, it's a movie about um, generational trauma and how families fuck each other up and then kind of try and resolve that business. I had seen it once before and just remember dismissing it completely out of hand and watching it again this time. I was like, yeah, this is not as bad as I thought thought it was it's not a great movie and it is dour so it's not like chippy christmas fun you know it's uh-huh. the family stone is a much more fun movie than this and th- but this is not from any of the creators of family stone this oh. writer, this writer did uh i Tanya, hope floats and stepmom and kate and leopold and p.s i love you and the director did uh Karina Karina. Okay. And I am Sam. I <laughs> love the Coopers. <laughs> well, not <laughs> there's some movies from the writer that I really, really like. How about that? Yeah, definitely. No, I would probably give this a watch. It, it's totally worth watching just because you're like, look at all of these incredible actors giving they're giving performances, man. It, there's something <laughs> to it. it. Like I said, I, I'm not gonna give it a strong recommend, but if if it's on TV, don't change the channel. I don't know. Okay. Do you remember Brotherhood of the Wolf? Which one? Brotherhood of the Wolf. Uh, never seen it, but yes, I know of it. Oh, buddy. All I'm going to say is that that movie still fucking rules, and you should totally watch it. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, what year is it? Like 2006, 2005-ish, something like that. Or, you know, early, mid-2000s. Okay. It is a uh, French language film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of actors that you are definitely going to know and engage with. Um, it, it, just, it just fucking rules, man. That's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. Done. And then the last one I want to talk about uh, is The Great Buck Howard. I actually enjoyed that movie. I like that movie. I think Malkovich is solid. <laughs> I think Malkovich is more than solid in there. I think he's doing great work. It, it's not like he's maybe not giving it his all, but that also might be the character that he's playing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Anyways. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I, I won't spend too much time on it other than I just sort of liked its, I don't know, affinity, affection for show business and absolutely the the people that populate the industry and why we do it and you know yeah i agree i think i kind of want to rewatch that i might add that to my rewatch list give it a go man i I liked it so speaking of steve martin in a christmas movie do you want to start on mixed nuts sure okay sure (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, wait, I have to ask you a question. Have we talked about this movie before? Not like as a movie on the podcast, but I might have brought it up in like think, movies that I've watched. I think I brought it up in movies that I watched. So Maybe. it might've been over on uh, the filmography show, but I, I watched it about a year ago. And yeah, I watched it a year ago too. And I'm pretty sure- We must've talked about this, dude. I think we did. <laughs> I don't think we did an episode, but I think we had a bit of a conversation about mixed nuts. So um, you can just go back and listen to that. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I, like you mentioned in the intro, it's the kind of movie that on paper should be a classic and it just never comes together. And even when it's not coming together, a lot of the stuff doesn't really work, you know? I no. think like, for me, the only thing that really, really works is Lee Schreiber. Lee Schreiber's pretty good. This is his first movie. That's, we have definitely had this conversation. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my favorite bit, I think, of the whole movie, like, they do it so many fucking times and it doesn't work most of those times, but the Christmas tree being broken. Yeah, but with John I Stewart love... and Parker Posey. John Stewart? Isn't, yeah, I'm pretty sure John Stewart is one of the rollerbladers, no? Was he? Yeah, I, I think that's John Stewart. I don't see him in the cast. Oh my God, you're right. It is Jon Stewart. Holy fuck, I didn't even put that together. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. Uh, But still, at the end when they tie um, uh, Gary Shandling to the tree. Right. That's my favorite bit. (laughs) That's a solid bit. And it's, you know, all those pieces, it should come together right there. But then the next moment is the cops being like, oh, congratulations, Juliette Lewis. You're not guilty of murder because he's a bad guy. You just caught the seaside strangler. Oh my God, I did. (laughs) And it's, the only real note I have here is that this has the energy of a high school production, like a play, but a very good, like a performing arts high high school, but still very much just sort of like too much energy and not enough script. I don't know if that is the thing or. I, I, I don't know either. Like I feel, I don't know. There's not really a story to this movie. You're just with them on Christmas Eve as he, they're about to be evicted and there's a couple things happening. And, uh, but like, yeah, it feels like know. it should be a save the community center thing. That's kind of where we start from. Uh-huh. And that, that is paid attention to, but it never really has any stakes, right? Similarly, with yeah, nothing just nothing has any real stakes. I think that's the problem with the movie. I, yeah, it really doesn't cuz everything resolves itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that can Like be- even the elevator bit she's in there for like 20 minutes of the movie 25 minutes of the movie and then she gets out (laughs) and even the the moment of tension where the the like the things rising the things rising and then they just like stops and nothing pays off and that's kind of funny you know i i don't know but you know that's coming you know they're not about to get squished by an elevator (laughs) and yet 
this movie ends in an actual murder. Yes. An that accidental negligent a- homicide. Yes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> she fucking start shooting. Because <laughs> that's her plan to empty the gun. She's yeah. trying to be a, a safe gun owner. You know, you can't just leave it loaded. Oh, man. Yeah, there's definitely some little funny bits in there. Just overall, it's like, it feels like a really long sketch. Yeah. I also wonder, you know, it comes in at a nice clean 90 minutes. And I wonder if there's about an hour (laughs) of this movie missing, you know? I can easily see that. Yes. And it probably would be a, a better movie with a little more connective tissue in it, you know? Maybe. Did you see little baby Haley Joel Osment? No, flew right by me. Yeah, the little boy at the uh, end of the movie. Uh, I can't remember what he says. He has one line. Yeah. And he just like say? points. It's a little baby, Haley Joel. Hmm. There's a lot of people in this movie. Jesus Christ. Stephen Wright, even. <laughs> Stephen. I, that scene is maybe my favorite bit of business with the suicide hotline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark, but it's funny. Uh, and then Adam Sandler just like popping up doing Adam Sandler. Yeah, for some history. reason. No, because this is going like ninety four or so. Well, yeah, Overboard was first. Yeah, and then isn't Billy Madison is like around the same time? Isn't that like ninety four? Maybe I want to say it's ninety five. Might be. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: Chris Farley was offered the part of. Lee of Schreiber's and turned it down. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's like simultaneously better and worse because you'd be removing the sort of most effective part of the movie, but you would be replacing it with more chippy insanity. And maybe you know, that's kind of like our uh, the conversation we're having about well, I can't remember if it was Wagons East or Almost Heroes, which one is which, but like. <laughs> I don't know, when Chris Farley is in the movie, it's working because he's yeah. Chris Farley and that's great. Uh, so yeah, Adam Sandler had Airheads first in 90. <laughs> oh no. So he has a small part in Shakes the Clown and then he has a small part in Coneheads and then he gets Airheads <laughs> and then Mixed Nuts and then Billy. Is Shakes the Clown the Bobcat Goldthwait? Have you seen that movie? Of course. We that should movie. do that eventually. Yes, we should, because that movie sort of broke my brain open the first time I saw it as like a middle schooler. I was like, wait, you can do this? Yeah, that movie, Bobcat is a genius. (laughs) Yeah. Have you watched any of his anthology show? Mm -mm. He's got a a show on IFC that's like, I'm not going to get the name of it right. Uh, Let me see if I can look it up here. Yeah, it's like an anthology horror show. And they're bobcatty, you know um, what I mean? Bits and monsters. That's it. So the one that's sticking to my mind right now is like uh, that real classic trope of the cartoon coming to life and messing with the owner or the creator. And uh-huh. it's just, it's that, but through Bobcat's lens, it's <laughs> really good. I do remember when this came out. I remember this poster being advertised all over LA. Yeah, I guess I remember seeing it also. Yeah. <laughs> Worth a watch. Okay, interesting. Does this movie, how about this? Is Does the movie succeed as a Christmas movie? Because it, it certainly is not a, a great narrative experience, but are you getting like the pastiche of Christmas? 
in an odd way, yes, it does. It like, it kind of feels like an LA Christmas. It's, I mean, today it's a little gloomy outside, but like, usually it's kind of bright and sunny here. It's a little sure. cold, but people are still out fucking walking the beach. <laughs> and like, I, I get it. I do get it. The, uh, when they said, uh, that was a $40 Christmas tree. I'm like, whoa <laughs> what was the other one like 120 over here dude uh flashing forward to la story but when steve martin's on the phone with the the lidio the restaurant and uh-huh. he's like yeah i just sold a condo yes in the soft market now the low 50s it's like my god if you could get a condo in la for 50k the low 50s um so yeah, uh, I, one more shout out to Madeline Kahn, uh, yeah. who plays Mrs. Uh, Munchik. Really like her. I really like her. Uh, she, she's in um, Bogdanovich's Paper Moon okay. and has one of the best lines in that whole movie. And it's because she, like herself as an actor, um, uh, you know, or as a person, you know, she was never like, this was back in the 70s, wasn't like fully, you know, sexualized. Like she never like presented herself that way. And this character in Paper Moon has one moment where she is trying to uh, uh, be uh, seated up front with uh, Ryan O'Neill, the lead of the movie. Mm-hmm. And his daughter, Tatum O'Neill, is the little girl in the movie, but they don't play father and daughter. And the woman from Mixed Nuts is trying to tell Tatum O'Neill, like, hey, let, it's such a weird line delivery, but it's so painstakingly real for this woman, just like, who's supposed to be a bubbly, like, sex, per, sexy person. She delivers this soft line of, like, will you let me sit up front and, like, show my tits? Like, it, it's such a... I'm blanking on the actual line, but like it's something like that. And it's given with like the most heartbreaking delivery that you understand everything that this supporting character is going through. Mm-hmm. It's one of those roles. You, you're like, oh, I get this person from this one fucking line. Okay. Yeah, I love Paper Moon a lot. I have not seen it, but I am a big fan of Madeline Kahn. You um, should absolutely watch Paper Moon. I yeah, think I would. It, it doesn't on. surprise me at all that she'd be able to to bring that delivery because you know I know her mostly from uh, as a comic actor uh-huh. and the Mel Brooks stuff, <laughs> but she always is bringing such pathos. You know, like even the was it the Von Stroop has a an edge of sadness to her. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Um, anyways, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that she can do it. I I really am a big fan of her work. Yeah, definitely. Highly. And it's her first movie. It's her second movie. She did What's Up Doc before that with Bogdanovich and he loved her so much, which is like a straight screwball comedy. If you want a great screwball comedy from the 70s, watch What's Up Doc with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, I'm going to have to. (laughs) It's a great poster. Oh, dude, What's Up Doc is great. What a what a throwback to screwball comedies of the silent film era. And they just do it in a modern day seventies. Um, uh, what's the proper term for it? Um, uh, like a miss, it's not miscommunication, but like everyone has this same back and there's 
people after this bag, but it keeps getting mixed up because there's multiple people with this sure. same bag. It's a comedy of errors. Ex a comedy of errors. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so that brings us back around to mixed nuts, which is like, it feels like it's going for screwball energy. I mean, it's the, the hijinks are pretty zany. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love the moment when the phone's ringing in the beginning and Steve Martin's like, I got it, rushes over to the desk. Yeah, he's like, writes the form. <laughs> yeah, line one. Yeah. Uh, so good. Yeah, I almost want like yakety sacks and a little bit of time ramp or something because it, it might, I don't know, communicate a little. Uh, it's, a, it's a little dull. Like it tries to be like a dry slapsticky movie which is a weird combo to to like try and well do. let's talk efron there because that's <laughs> the like she has such a reputation as being you know lighter than air with her romance mm -hmm. and and well deserved my under and i'm not a huge uh reader of nora efron but my understanding is that her like her column and her essay work is much more ascorbic and biting and really almost uh, cutting I'll just leave it there because like I said I haven't read a lot of it and so when she's taken some of that energy into this place I don't know if she's being pulled back by a studio system or if it's uh, tough to balance all of those tones man it is really hard to make a dark comedy they're difficult to pull off you know yeah and like you could even like her next dark comedy after this lucky numbers is not like quite a perfect movie but i still like i really enjoy lucky numbers i would watch lucky numbers before this again i actually was Absolutely. like oh yeah lisa kudros running around john travolta's being a maniac that's that's worth a watch yeah lucky numbers is a better movie but still people didn't like lucky numbers i think her most successful film was probably sleepless in seattle or you got mail uh, yeah, I, I assume by box office, you got mail probably did a little better, but in terms of cultural impact, Sleepless still has a, a spot in all of our hearts, right? Mm -hmm. And I really love Michael with John Travolta. That is a bizarre statement. I love Michael, dude. That movie is so bad. <laughs> I've seen worse. Mixed nuts. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, if the if the scale of judgment is I've seen worse, you know, it's pretty far um, up the chain. But no, I I really like William Hurt, John Travolta, and Andy McDowell in that movie. I I Andy, <laughs> not even Andy McDowell can save that thing. She's, you know what, Andy McDowell is like the version of Kristen Stewart that I like, where most of her performances are actually terrible. Uh-huh. That's totally fair. Oh, wow. What a great comparison. But I like I Andy McDowell. They so just, are kind of very much the same, though. Wow. I'm really thinking about that. They're very, Michael, she's not uh, like very anxious. She's more like a mousy, quiet type. But I totally see what you're saying with uh, comparing her to Kristen Stewart. I absolutely see that. Fair. I uh, will take it. So, um, yeah, mixed nuts. It's a mixed bag. It's I, a very mixed bag. I think it's sitting right now at about, actually, no, we'll, uh, I'll save that for trivia. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, this one's going to be easy because LA Story, 
it might not feel like a complete movie. It kind of lingers a lot, but there's some great comedy in those lingering scenes. The movie could, it's a short movie. It's only like an hour and 30 minutes. But Another like, 90 minutes, baby. Yeah, but I, I definitely think there's like pieces of it that could be cut and it could be probably like an hour 25. Sure. Yeah. It, that's, it's, that's such a small thing to complain about because I actually think LA Story moves pretty quickly it's not like you're sitting there for a long time waiting for something to happen no but i'll 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 give you a little um backing <laughs> there because i think the stuff that could be cut are like some of the it, it gets a little bitty you know what i mean like it's bits uh-huh. galore and that's harris k telemacher but this story is also very mystical. And so it could stand to draw down on the gags and just let the romance carry this thing. Because for me, I think that's actually where the movie is strongest. Watching it more and more as an adult, his, uh, Steve Martin's existence as a performance artist stands out to me. And I'm really interested in that part of the movie as well. But it's just sort of like an arc, a story being told. The romance works, I think. I agree. Uh, Victoria Tennant is her name. That's right. That uh, they were wed at the time. They were yeah. husband and wife, and I think that little piece of knowledge informs a lot of what's going on in this movie. Um, I, I I see what you're saying. Like the, the, I think I'm trying to think of like the longest bit because there's a couple bits that go on a little bit too long, and I, it's a great bit though. It's the earthquake scene at the dinner table. Like that that dinner table scene in itself is kind of long. There's like, that's probably a five minute scene, six minute scene. There's a lot. It's a set piece essentially. I mean, it is, yeah. yeah the lot going on there. Just continues even longer with the joke of an earthquake. Yeah. And the earthquake just keeps getting more intense and they're just, hey, yeah, we're just having a normal conversation. Uh, it's like a 3.4, maybe four. <laughs> Um, the one that I want to cut is the like thought bubbles of Mel Gibson. It, yeah. You know, it's lands you in a time and place when a lot of the rest of this movie, I mean, it's a very nineties movie and it, it is sort of even about that time and place, but it, it goes a little evergreen if you remove that. And it, it's, you know, it feels like a Looney Tunes bit in a movie that doesn't have quite that, but that's Steve Martin's sensibility, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, who is this director? Mick Jackson. Let's take a look and find out more. Oh and my goodness. <laughs> what do you got? Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, so his first big movie essentially is LA Story. He had one before that called Chattahoochee with okay. uh, what a name with Gary Oldman actually and Dennis Hopper and Francis McDormand. Let's watch that movie. Yeah, 1955 Florida, a Korean vet has a breakdown and is and is incarcerated in a maximum security mental health prison where patients are abused. Damn. Whoa, that sounds intense. Uh, so that was his first movie. And then he made L.A. Story. Then he made The Bodyguard. Okay. Okay. And then went on to make Volcano. Oh, legend legend and then he did like some whitney houston stuff like a documentary for whitney um random tv show episodes and then he made temple grandin for hbo interesting (laughs) what a weird career here i I mean you're describing the career of a journeyman for sure 
Absolutely. It's from Essex. Okay. Well, that tracks a little bit also with Tenet coming over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to rant and rave a little bit about this movie. Are you ready? Yes. When I was a young child, this my mom had a boyfriend who was like into comedy. And this is one of the movies that he showed me when I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 10-ish, 12 maybe, something like that. That's and a perfect age for this one. Yeah, yeah. And it really set deep with me in that these notes of mysticism are really in the things that I write, you know, that the sensibility of blending strange comedy and slapstick comedy and really heartfelt emotional beats. I, I love when all of that stuff comes together. And this is a movie that doesn't do it great, but it does it pretty well. And it's the first one that I ever saw. And it was also sort of introduced to that, the first one that I ever saw that really did that at all. And it was also introduced to me in a way that was like, ah, you might not get this, but like, I think you might. And so I was like, my reach was exceeding my grasp. You know, I'm like, this is what adults, this is what important uh-huh. movies are. So it, it just has really imprinted itself on my soul. And I, I probably watch it like once a year, honestly. Fucking hey, I dig that. I saw this probably like eighth grade. I was probably like 13, 14. And I, because I was obsessed with Bowfinger. I love, I still love Bowfinger. That's the Steve Martin movie that like made an impression on me. It's a great movie. Oh, great movie. Uh, And the fucking, his little studio that he lives and works out of is right around the corner from me. Oh, right on. It's still there, but it's now uh, surrounded by gentrification. So there's this small little studio. And then all of a sudden there's just, big ass apartments right next to it mm. yeah but uh i loved bowfinger so much my stepdad was like uh you should watch he gave me a couple of Mar- uh, steve martin movies uh la story was one of them and uh man with two brains yeah and uh the jerk that so yeah it was the the same gentleman uh put on the man with two brains and the jerk and mm-hmm. those are movies both that i love still I think I, I think like eighth grade that is like a pretty because you start to grasp a little bit of absurdity and you can start to pick it out in movies around then. So I think seeing like the jerk and man with two brains, like the man with two brains is hilarious. I love that one so much. <laughs> That's interesting that you call that because I love both of those movies, but obviously the jerk is like the odds-on favorite classic Steve Martin yes. movie, right? obviously it's great but i mean like people always talk about that movie no one talks about man with two brains nor do they talk about dead men wear plaid <laughs> that one i've only seen once wow it's uh, st- i thought it was still funny i watched it probably like a year and a half ago and i was like eh, it's still pretty funny i like the man with two brains like a lot i will always <laughs> love that movie but i've had a few experiences of showing people that movie and then just being like, what, why would you show that to me? And I'm like, um, because it's the best movie ever. And, and yeah. so now I'm sort of like, is it funny or do I just love it? I think it's oh, funny. It's absolutely funny. Carl Reiner does a great job at directing that movie. And it has the phrase Umel Mahay in it. <laughs> and job. he's just like, <laughs> well, my name is Hafer. So <laughs> I, I know the pronunciations. Uh, um, 
Also, it has a shot of him in a rowboat with a brain in a vat. Movie rules. <laughs> it does rule. But on, I obviously do see why people like the jerk more. But Carl Reiner and Steve Martin pairing up again, like a few years after the jerk to make Man with Two Brains. Dude, it's still yeah. a solid, funny movie. Uh, the jerk gave me like life advice, sage wisdom that has gotten me very, very far, which is God loves a working man. Don't trust Whitey. Don't trust Whitey. Yes. Great, great things to live by. Yeah. It'll get <laughs> you far, folks. Um, uh, I was reading a fun fact about LA Story because uh, they knew that this was going to play big uh, in other countries. So the um, construction sign that lights up and sends the message to him, mm -hmm. they literally filmed a whole night of shooting it first normal and then had all of the different languages presented on the screen and they just filmed it so they wouldn't have to put up subtitles. Solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of cool. <laughs> That's good filmmaking. That is good filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Kudos to them. That's like uh, the Spanish version of Dracula, you know, just shooting at night on the same set. Uh, Let's just do this right from the beginning, folks. Oh, man. Uh, there's a lot of cameos in this movie. Imam? <laughs> Say it again. Iman? Iman? She's in this movie. For how long? The entire earthquake scene. So pretty significant yeah. it's like five six minutes right yeah uh, and she will have a twist of lemon and she will she will but you also, also get Moranis. fucking those scenes woody are harrelson. great woody harrelson is the one that surprises me every time no matter how many times i've seen this movie i'm just sort of like what are you doing here and what is this character it feels very specifically right in a way that does not, it exists outside of movie tropes. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. he's not dressed like slick, shit-eating executive. He's definitely acting that way, but he's, it feels like, a, like, again, a very time and place, early 90s joke that I don't know if I get, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I get it either. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... So okay. overall, Play Story is a better movie than Mixed Nuts. Way, way better. I have a question for you about Harris K. Telemarker, which is, is he a weatherman that is grandiose, or is he a performance artist that, like, an aspect of his art is the wacky weekend weather guy? Hmm. Well, he wants to be so much more than that wacky weather TV guy. Because when the newscasters, like, uh, well, I can't remember what she says to him, but she like, asks him, she says, "Hey, you have a PhD in arts and humanities. Somebody told me that." She's, he's like, "Yes, I, I do." I and her response was, "A lot of good it did you." Yeah, like, that I, fucking breaks jerk. his heart. Yeah, it hurts him. I, that's a a really important part of the movie, I think, because he is it living is. his art, his life as an art piece, and so. Again, the older I become and the more I look at this movie, I maybe I'm just trying to justify my own existence right now. Oh my God, you guys, I'm having an existential crisis. Um, but no, I, I want to believe that he thinks of himself as a performance artist first and like kind of got this gig and 
that's good enough you know and that says so much about Los Angeles even still where one of the things that I say to people when they ask me like what's Los Angeles like how did you like it there because I I love it love Los Angeles it's the greatest city on earth one of the negatives of it is that it's so amazing that your five-year plan can turn into like a 15-year plan by year three you know what I mean it's really easy to just take it easy man and if you got one of those cush gigs you know that that's gonna be there and is paying you well Mm -hmm. you just keep doing it you know yep so that's very true says a lot about LA I think that I yeah no I think that's a great thing to take away from this because that movie actually really nails that yeah yeah, and, and is interested in it. You know what I mean? It's not just that it like it didn't stumble into that point. I think it's that's like something an, that it, it, it's like an inherent truth about LA. Like it's just it's that is a fact actually. <laughs> yeah, and I think the there's a uh, I, I'll call it brilliant. I love this movie. I, the, the the playfulness with the Shakespeare quotes throughout, like you just mentioned, Rick Moranis, and they're talking about the magician doing the Hamlet scene, right? Or the this uh, does he say sounding fury? Isn't that Faulkner? Um, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. No, no, that line is from Shakespeare, right? Sound and fury is the Faulkner novel, which is taken from the. Trump. Sorry, guys. There Sorry, English majors. <laughs> um, but that again is so much about show business. It is light and noise, and ultimately nothing. If it exists anywhere, it exists on celluloid. And today, not even there. So what is this circus, this madness that we engage with, you know? Yeah. Fucking A. And to just draw that out a little bit further, you know, Shakespeare is now high art because it's 400 years old. But Shakespeare is essentially Marvel movies. You know what I mean? He was populist entertainment. He was just the biggest brand doing it. Yeah. It was for the the riches. And and for the penny pits. It was for the people as well. You know what I mean? The theater had cheap seats. They did, yes. Yeah. And lots of people saw the shows. It was for everybody. Um, And I I don't know. I I like populist entertainment. I like the movies. I like that they can sometimes be high art and low art all at once. And... I don't know that this movie like 100% succeeds, but just the fact that it's trying to do all of these things, I don't know, that's pretty great. And the fact that you uh, have a joke about that it's open season on the freeway and you just start fucking shooting motherfuckers. Okay, I got more (laughs) because that scene also says so much about like humanity, the way that people interact, but LA specifically, because he's the problem there, right? The guy doesn't start shooting him. He's like, Steve Martin starts swerving because he's panicking because yeah. he hears something that is like absurd and not true and then reacts to it as though it were true and then creates the reaction that he's trying to avoid. Yes. This movie is actually brilliant. One, 500 stars. His line delivery of, oh my God, it's open season. <laughs> On the LA freeway. <laughs> oh yeah, so good. Good, good movie. Uh, do you have much else? No, I'm ready for some trivia. Okay. 
I don't have a ton of trivia for you uh, because I have been in recovery. So I'm, we're just going to play like one game here. That's fine. Before we get to it, I think we should shout out. Uh, this is one of my favorite SJP roles. About as good as she gets. Um, she's another one like Kristen Stewart where it's like, oh, she's such a bad actor. And, you know, if you can harness her energy, that's sometimes worth something. Yeah, she actually said uh, this movie changed her life because before this, she wasn't getting roles that like sexualized her. She was like the mousy friend or just like a nerdy girl. And they casted her as this like sexy blonde in this movie. And from then on out, she started getting all these auditions for sexy blonde roles and then eventually became Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, I mean, she has that energy. She's very, very bubbly. She can fill that role for sure. Have you watched any of the... And just like that. No. I, oh, I mean, yeah, I actually did watch a piece because my dumbass friend that was visiting was like, I'm just curious and puts it on and we start. He randomly put on episode three. He didn't even put on the first episode. That's and so right, it's it bad. Into like this podcast thing with like Bobby Lee in it. And I'm like, this looks terrible. This looks like a Netflix movie. Everything is overlit. There's no like everything is polished. It doesn't look good. And fucking, uh, I was just like, what well, HBO has lost their touch with shows now. Like they, they're making them look like everything else and not like a cinematic piece. But then I was like, that is HBO Max. That's not like, I, they have other productions that still look like grandiose movies. Yeah, I also wonder if they're doing a little bit of a house style because the original Sex and the City looks like shit too. You know what I mean? Film at least. At least it had the film aesthetic. Uh, um, yeah, the first season was almost certainly video. No, it was like 90... No, Sex and the City started like 98. Yeah, I, the first season looks really rough. I'd be curious. And I, it's also 4-3. So maybe 16? Really? You think they shot it on 16 millimeter? I why would you put 35 into a 4-3? It's a lot of cost, man. And it was also, it's like, that first season is a little strange. It's not the same as the rest of the series. There's a lot of, like, man-on-the-street kind of cutaway interviews where extras have a reaction line to something that's going on in the plot. The first season's a very different show. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then the other part of it is that I... I watching that third episode was wondering if it was meant to maybe go to Netflix because it centers on a Netflix comedy special being taped. They use the word, yeah, they use the word Netflix on their HBO Max show, which made me feel like, wait, what network am I watching right huh. now? And Interesting. so if HBO Max bought it because it's HBO and they were never going to put the Sex and the City reboot or let that get away, but they also weren't going to pay for this garbage. So yeah, let's, let's see how we do. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, the last thing I want to shout out is Richard E. Grant. <laughs> I'm sorry we got so distracted on. on An L.A. story. Yes. Richard yeah. E. He's just always uh, so damn good at acting. He's kind of cool. He's kind of cool. I'm really giving him credit for um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? He's so, like, and I. 
of course i would never forget I don't discredit with neil and i i apologize english majors <laughs> you want to play a game and wrap this bad boy up i'm ready okay just one today we'll play it about both movies uh we're gonna play the rotten tomatoes over under so i'm gonna give you a number and you're gonna tell me whether the rotten the tomato meter sits above that number or below that number are okay. you ready i'm ready the over under on mixed nuts is 13 13 fresh on rotten tomatoes do you think it is over 13 percent or under 13 percent under it is 10 percent yeah totally under okay for la story the over under i'm setting is at 95 are we over or are we under under we are under it's at 93 oh wow okay. i was a little surprised man I, I, mean, I, I would have said it was probably like 89 but 93 is still pretty fucking high yeah my gut says it's like an 80 percent, but yeah it's it's doing good work okay anything else you want to get off your chest feller no sir happy holidays